So if you would turn there. We have been in this series on the patriarchs, and we're going we're gonna to continue there. I'm not going to be able to finish last week's message. We'll, we'll see if that gets finished. If it does, it'll have to be in a, uh, maybe next week. But, uh, but I want to look at a different part of the story of the patriarchs to, to share a message that applies to all of us, but, but to share a special challenge to the graduates. Um, you know, w- preaching a message like I'm going to preach this morning, like I'm going to share with you this morning, sometimes I think to myself, you know, why can't you just be a motivational speaker? Just tell everybody they're good, you know, just go get them, you can do it. What your mind can, be- can conceive and your heart can believe you can achieve and just give you a good pep talk and send you out there and, hey, you can do it. And, um, Instead, <laughs> uh, although there's an element of, of encouragement to this, I, I just want you to know, uh, maybe above everything else, that, that if and when there is a challenge in your Christian life that arises, I want you to know above all other things that it will be worth it to serve Jesus. I want you to know that whatever challenges come to your life, I grew up hearing my parents say to me over and over again, uh, words like, it will be worth it to serve Jesus. You'll never regret serving Jesus. They would say things like, there's no better place to be and nowhere else that I would rather be than in the will of God where he wants me to be. And these, these truths have been part of True North for my life. They've been part of True North for my life. They built an idea in me. It wasn't always a welcome idea, by the way, because like most of us, there are things that I have wanted that were my own plans for me, and I wanted my own ways. Uh, and uh, And so sometimes those words that my parents would speak sounded like conviction in my heart because they, they put some restrictions on my life. Uh, uh, there's no better place to be than the will of God. Yeah, but what if I don't want what the will of God is for me, right? And so now I've got this internal conflict going on within me. And yet this overriding truth has been proven to be true in my life and, and has been something that has always kept me in a certain place because... Because I did have this sense of God, God has desires for you. And his desires for you are better than your desires for yourself. And even if it costs you something and you have to pay a price for it, it will be worth it. It will be worth it. And those, those truths have been part of true north for my life. What we're going to look at this morning from Genesis 22 is one of those things that nobody would choose for their own lives. Nobody would choose to go through this. Okay, let's read the story. You're familiar with it, but let's read it quickly. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. 
So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took, his hand, took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father... And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. This morning I want to look at this story. I mean, there is so much. If you look at this story through the lens of the eyes of of Abraham, there's just so much we will be back in this passage again in the relatively near future, okay? But this morning, I want to look at it through the eyes of Isaac. I want to look at it through the eyes of Isaac because, well, our graduates age-wise will relate more to Isaac, okay? Isaac, uh, Isaac was a, a young man at this point in his life. So let's look at it through the lens of Isaac. I want to just make a few general uh, comments about some context, and I'm going to try to move to the the meat of this message rather quickly this morning. But just a couple of comments real quickly to provide some context. The first thing is this. I I think it's important when, when we read this story to remind ourselves that God was not, nor has he ever been, in favor of child sacrifice. Ever. Ever. Okay? He, he's not in favor of offering your children on an altar of sacrifice in any but a symbolic way. So in that, in, that, in that Samuel sense of a parent saying, Lord, you gave me this child, this child is yours. Right? That's part of what we do in baby dedication. It's part of what every parent has to do in recognizing that these children are not our property They are gifts from God. They belong to him, and we are stewards. We raise them for his glory. They belong to him. Um, uh, But literally, offering a child on on an altar is not something that... It's something the pagans did in their their worship. It's not something that God ever intended for us. So just real quickly, um, this is one of those examples of God instructing somebody to do something. It's, it's It's an extraordinary story. It's an exception that proves the rule. And by the way... God didn't let it happen. God didn't let it happen. 
It's an extraordinarily dramatic illustration, an exceptional illustration of some things that, that, uh, that God uh, wanted to communicate to us. But let me just say this very quickly. First of all, um, uh, child sacrifice was expressly prohibited to God's people. It was expressly prohibited. Leviticus 18.21, Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy 12, 30 and 31, Deuteronomy 18, 10. This practice was prohibited to God's people. Something that happened in pagan worship that God did not desire for his people. Secondly, it's something that apparently happened at least at some point in, in the history of the people of God. And in Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 5, God rebukes his people for participating in this practice, and he does it in an extraordinary way. The, the way he does it is he adds on to this rebuke the phrase that this thing that they had done had never entered his mind. It's an extraordinary phrase for the omniscient God to use, the one who knows all things, to say, it never entered my mind for you to do this, okay? It's an, it's an extreme statement expressing God's disapproval in how foreign something like this would be to the worship of the true God. You don't offer a child on an altar of sacrifice. This thing never entered my mind. Uh, God says to the nation of Judah in Jeremiah 19.5, the third thing that we need to see here is, okay, if it's prohibited and if it was rebuked, what's the story about? Well, at the very least, we need to, to recognize that Isaac in this story is a type of Christ. That is, he's a picture of Christ. He serves as a picture of Christ. God wanted this event to, to happen in the life of a man of faith, Abraham, and, and wanted it recorded for you and me uh, as a as a, uh, a pre-Christ picture of what was going to happen when Jesus would come to this earth and be sacrificed for sin. Okay? There, that, that Isaac was going to be a picture of what was going to come later on. I've already said this. I'll just mention it again quickly. The fourth thing is that it's important for us to recognize that the sacrifice was stopped before it had an opportunity to happen, and instead a ram was provided that God never intended for Abraham to actually kill Isaac, that, that Abraham, following through and being, being obedient, being willing to do whatever God told him to do, was important, but that God never intended for Abraham to go through with it. Abraham did not know that up front, but God stops it and provides a ram instead. Why? Because it was never his intention for Isaac to be offered as a sacrifice on an altar. So it was stopped. Why? God's not in favor of child sacrifice. This is not something that he is in favor of. The second thing that we need to notice here, just in, by way of general context, is that while we don't know the exact age that Isaac was, he was definitely not a young child. It's worth, uh, as a matter of interest, noting that Josephus, uh, Josephus believed he was 25. I think that's kind of the upper limit. But he was, he was almost certainly not a, he was not a child, he was almost certainly a young man, a young man by this point in, in, in his life. 
And so I would just like to do this um, uh, just real quickly as a question. Um, Leah, Michaela, Trent, James, how easily do you think your dad would be able to get you strapped down on an altar? I mean, w would you say that would be hard for them to do? Yes? No? Like, if you didn't want to go there, it'd be hard to get you there. What's that? <laughs> You're not going, right? Right? And, and that is a vital point here. The, 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 the point, this is, an, this is a vital part of the whole picture that God is painting of the Lord Jesus. The point is simply this. He was big enough, old enough, that no one was going to get him on that altar. He would have been able to fight his way out. Like, to get him tied up and get him on the the whole thing, right? He's big enough, strong enough, old enough, that he would have been able to resist had he chosen to resist. It's not something that would have been something that Abraham could have forced him into. Oh, by the way, let us not forget that Abraham was a very old man when Isaac was born. And so it's not as if this was going to be a close contest between a 40-something and a, and a, and a 20-year-old, you know, and they were going to, it was going to be man-to-man, -man, they were going to have a real combat here. I mean... Abraham was significantly beyond that stage of his life. There's no way he was going to force Isaac onto that altar. And so he's a, he's a type of Christ in the sense that the Lord Jesus in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18 said this, There is no man that takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I give it of my own will. If Isaac had not gotten on the altar himself and been willing to participate as a willing sacrifice, there's no way Abraham would have gotten him there. So Isaac is a picture of this whole, this whole, um, uh, this whole drama, the central, the central fact of history that God the Son comes to the earth and willingly offers himself as a sacrifice for sin. Isaac is a picture of this. I lay my life down willingly. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. So he's a type of Christ. There's this fact about Isaac. Isaac is a type of Christ. Now, I, I made that claim a few minutes ago that Isaac is a type of Christ. Um, uh, I just want to see it very specifically in one place in this text. The text that we just read, I think one of the places it stands, I've already given some examples that he lays down his life willingly like Jesus did, all these things. But if you look at verse 2, take now your son, your what? Your, now, all of you guys have been around long enough to be able to quote John 3, 16, right? What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only begotten son, right? So you've got this fact that Isaac is here. Now, I'm saying this because we've already seen in this whole series that Abraham's already had another son that was older than Isaac, that Abraham begged God, let the promise be fulfilled through him, right? 
So there's this other son, this son Ishmael, and yet God here calls Isaac his only son. Ah, it's just, it's just not true. Abraham had another son. No, but this son is unique from all the others. This is an only son in the sense that there's only one that has this promise. By the way, later on in Abraham's life, we find out that he had at least six other sons through his wife Keturah. Right? So, so literally, it's like this statement is there and, and anyone who knows the, the history would take a step back and say, your only son? What kind of a statement is that to make? Right? And it's not until you get to the lens of the New Testament that you really understand what the statement is about. The Old Testament Jews would have said, he's the only son in the sense that he's the son of the covenant. Right? He's the one through whom the covenant is going to, take, is, is going to come to pass. But then we step into the New Testament and we go, Ah, the rest of that story is that the Lord Jesus was the only begotten of the Father, right? The only one, says John 3, 16, and then it adds the son that you love, the son that you love. And this, this brings up for us the statement that is made, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. This is my, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, or in this case, um, uh, that 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 statement that uh, that uh, just said this is my beloved son, the son I love, right? The son I love. So think of it this way: some 1,900 years before Matthew three and John three, where those words were being spoken, about 1,900 years before that, Isaac was a prophetic picture of who the Lord Jesus was going to be. He's this picture of the only begotten, the only son of the Father, the one that the Father loves. Okay? So the Lord Jesus is is this picture. Quickly, I want to share with you three truths that come from this. Three truths that come from this, this, that are illustrated in the story of Isaac's life. I think these are important for all of us. I want to say these specifically to the graduates, but I think they're important for all of us. The first one, and I know um, everyone's kind of, I mean, you guys are going to go, yeah, we know, thanks a lot, you know. Um, I want to I call this a yoke of youth, the yoke in youth. Genesis 22, verse 6 In Genesis 22, verse 6, we're told, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac. He takes the wood, he takes the fire, Abraham takes the fire, he carries that, but the heavy stuff he puts on Isaac. Here's the wood. Isaac, you carry the wood. I want you to take this burden and I want you to carry it. Now please hear this. In Old Testament times, in Old Testament times, sacrifices were offered on altars. In, in Jesus' life, the sacrifice was offered on a cross. The cross is the New Testament version of the Old Testament altar. The cross was made of wood. So this is a picture, this whole drama that's being acted out between Isaac and Abraham is 
the father laying the cross on the son, putting the wood on him. You are going to have to carry this burden. You are going to have to carry this thing. The very thing that I'm going to offer you on as a sacrifice, you have to carry it to the place of sacrifice. And so we're told in the New Testament that the Lord Jesus carries his cross voluntarily, simply because it was the Father's will for him to do so. He has to carry this cross in the way that Abraham lays the wood on Isaac and tells Isaac to carry the very wood upon which he's going to be offered as a sacrifice. Now, uh, um, Lamentations 3, verses 22 through 28. Let me just read them quickly. Lamentations 3, verses 22 through, 20, through 28. Sorry, I'm flipping. Listen to these words. I'm sorry, did I say, what, what did I put up? Oh, no, three. Did I say two? Oh, I'm sorry. Lamentations three. Verse 22. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and be silent since he, God, has laid it on him. That's, there's a lot there. Okay, But just notice these couple of things about this passage. Verse 28 there reminds us of what the father did with the son... Jesus, and what Abraham did with his son Isaac. He lays the burden on him. The father says, carry the cross. Abraham says, you take the sticks, you take the wood, you carry it up there. And it's in the context of, it's good for you as a young person to bear your yoke in your youth, to carry a heavy weight in the time that you're young. Now listen, The general idea of this passage here in Lamentations, it's a passage of divine correction. God's people are being corrected for their sins. And in the middle of a whole book in which the prophet Jeremiah is just crying rivers of tears, the people of God are being defeated by their enemies. They're going through terrible things, hardship, suffering. People are dying. He stops in the middle of this whole book and he says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, right? That's our our song. The idea of it is, is, is this text. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. It's the one little ray of hope, the one little word of comfort in the midst of all the suffering that's going on. And this, this, this terrible time of chastening that God's people are dealing with, the idea is this, that knowing how, God, how good God is, when He chastens us, we should submit to it willingly. Real quick, my, dad's told me the story, uh, my dad told me the story many times. He said his brother, his younger brother, that was right, right below him, my Uncle Pete. 
He said, when we would be doing something we weren't supposed to do, my dad would come in. I should probably turn this off, you know, except that everybody's dead now, so it's okay. Um, my dad would come in, take his belt off. He was going to give us a spanking. My dad said, I would, I would just start sobbing and jumping around the room, like begging my dad for mercy. My dad would swap me a couple times, and it was done. He said, my brother Pete would stand there, look at my dad, and say, you can't make me cry. And he said, what would happen from there would be this prolonged event. And, and he said, invariably, eventually, my brother Pete would start having tears come out of his eyes. And he said, my brother would stand there, look at my grandfather, look at my dad and say, my eyes are watering, but I'm still not crying. It's the difference between submitting to correction willingly and, and fighting it for all you're worth. Please hear this. The Lord chastens those whom he loves, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So if, in this Lamentations, if, if you're going through misery and you're under the chastening of the Lord, please remember that his steadfast love never ceases and his mercies never come to an end. He's not doing it because he hates you. He's chastening you because he loves you. Take the burden on yourself and let it accomplish its work. Don't resist. Don't, don't. Submit, right? More generally, let me just say it to you this way, graduates. Every season of life has its joys and every season of life has its hardships. I think there's, there can be, there's not always, I think there can be a very special season in which there's a challenge. The child has become old enough in our culture, it, I think it starts to really play out at about 16 and a half, if that's when you get your driver's license, 17. All of a sudden, you've got your driver's license. And a new sense of freedom opens up to you like never before. And then your parents start putting some limitations around when you can drive the car. And, and all of a sudden, there's this new tension between I'm free and, oh, no, you're not. You have more freedoms but you're not yet able to just do anything you want anytime you want to. And it's a real challenge. This, this, this season of life that you can say, man, look at this. There's this new joy and there's this new hardship that all of a sudden exists between us here. Please hear this. Uh, what, what I want to say to you today, today is this. Please know that every season has a difficulty. It's a yoke. It's a burden for you to... And it's good for you to have a burden when you're young. When I turned 18, uh, I turned 18 February 20th, 1985. My dad died April... I, February, what did I say? February, did I say February 20th? Okay, okay. My dad died April 15th, 1985. That summer... I come back to the States. My uncle, who was, was the, the chief executive officer of a company, says, we're going to hire you. 
And he says, I want you to go down to American Street. We should take a field trip to American Street. It's not a nice place, okay? And he said, he said, here's your job. My job was to stand at a dumpster all day long, and someone would come and put two of those large steel barrels in the dumpster, and I would hit a button, and it would raise, and power steering pumps would come raining down at me. Power steering fluid everywhere. Every day in a building with no air conditioning, all summer long, I was covered with power steering fluid from my knees to my lower chest, sorting power steering pumps that needed to be remanufactured, looking at the details of them. Well, this one is this number, so it goes in this basket. And this one is this number, so it goes in this basket. My Uncle Mark uh, said to me toward the end of the summer, you know why I gave you that job? Because I wanted to teach you that life's not easy. Like, man, you know, my dad just died. I just came back to the state. Like, I'm, I'm a stranger in a strange land. Like, thanks a lot. Like, I needed that on top of everything else, right? It's good for you to bear a yoke in your youth. It's good for you to carry something that's hard to carry, that's heavy to carry. We live in a coddling world. A world that tells you, you can do anything you want. You can have it your way. You can have anything you want. There's, there's no, everybody should just have exactly life. You don't get life the way you want it. Stuff's going to come at you and stuff's going to happen to you that you will have no control over. It's good for you to learn some difficult lessons early in life. You know why? It's an exercise for future strength. It's an exercise. So whether it's divine correction and chastening or whether it's just hardships, normal hardships in the seasons of life, listen, embrace hard. There's a phrase that has become popular in recent years. I've, I really do love it. It's a great phrase. Listen, when hard comes at you, lean into it. Lean into it. Wind's blowing hard, lean in. Lean in. Everything within you will scream, run away. Lean in. It's good for you. You're going to grow. You're going to grow. In the immortal words of Barney Fife, <laughs> everything I've been through has added one more thread to my emotional constitution. I can take anything until he's told that he can't have the lead singing part, and all of a sudden he's crying like, you know. Lean in to the struggle. Lean in to the difficulty. It's, it's part of what you need to strengthen you in life. It's good for you to have this in your youth. The second thing is, if you think that was not entirely encouraging, I just want to tell you, to, next I want to tell you to die the death, okay? Just die the death. Just, listen, Come to terms with the fact that dying the death is a part of life. And I, and I want to be specific about what I mean. I, I, I want to do this really fast. And in fact, I might just stop here and just, just make the last point a really fast one. But let me just say this to you this morning. I want to illustrate it with my personal testimony. There are several, several deaths that I have felt that I had to die. Two of my biggest ones were these. The first one was my call to ministry. 
it meant the death of every goal I had for my life. Everything that I wanted to do with my life was, felt like it was being taken away from me. Nothing I wanted for me had anything to do with ministry. This, for me, was, was a real death experience. It was a denying of myself. It was a taking up of what felt to me like a cross. It was not something that I wanted. The second one, and I'm not, I, please hear me. This is not a statement. For, this is something that happened in my life, and that's all it is. Okay? There came a time in my life when I became convinced that one thing that God was requiring of me was to give up all my music. And, and that was about as painful as the whole ministry thing had been. I want you to know these truths about a cross. Because the cross represents, it's, it's an implement of death. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The cross was not an implement of punishment. It was an implement of capital punishment. It was death. It was death. Nobody got reformed on the cross. They died on a cross. Okay? Now, I want you to know these things about a cross. The cross is, is the common pattern of the spiritual life. I want you to know this. If you are going to follow Jesus closely, you will have at least one cross experience in your life. You will have one. Now, for some people, it's not super dramatic. This is is an amazing thing. There's a certain small number of people that I just marvel at, that I wish I could be like. For them, it seems that there's like something early in life that they're just committed to Jesus, submitted to his will. They never wanted anything for themselves but what he wanted for them. And so everything he asks of them is just a joy. And they just go on serving Jesus and it's just great. Because for some reason, the concept of the cross is something that just, they just embraced it. It was a natural part of the Christian life and it was just there. But I'm telling you, if you're anything like me at all, my cross experiences were painful. Because, man, I'm going to tell you, I had some things in my life that I wanted, and I wanted them strongly, and I wanted them intensely, and they were at odds with what God wanted for me in my life. And the cross came to me hard. Came to me hard. It was a death that I really felt deeply. Okay? The essence of the cross, and this is, a, this is the common pattern of the spiritual life. Whether you come by it naturally and you just are one of those cross-carrying Christians for the rest of your life, God bless you. I hope there's more of us. There should be more of us. But you need to know that the cross is the pattern of the Christian life. It's the pattern of the spiritual life. And listen, the essence of the cross is the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. This is the essence of the cross. The essence of the cross is 
not my will, thine be done. In other words, am, am I someone who is willing to receive from Jesus the forgiveness of my sins, but thank you very much for forgiving me, I'll take it from here. Or are you someone who will be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him no matter what he asks of you for the rest of your life? When I was growing up, amongst the, amongst, in, in the circles that I grew up in, the, the standard line that was the epitome of the lordship of Christ was, what if he calls you to be a missionary in Africa? Anybody remember those days? Like, those, those, are the, those are the like, and, and people would preach it, like, what if he calls you to be a missionary to Africa? Will you go? You know, and, and that was your big call to, have I submitted myself to the lordship of Christ? And I was like, oh, dear God, please, I don't know if I could go to Africa. You know, it's like, poor Africa, you know? It's like, what did Africa ever do to anybody to, to, to deserve the, the worst possible thing God could ask of anybody to do? But that was the thing. The point, however, was you have to understand that there will be things that will be the will of God for your life and that as a follower of Christ, it is for you to submit yourself to him no matter how deep the death is. If you have to say goodbye to your family, then you say goodbye to your family. If that's the call of God upon your life, you go. You do what he tells you to do. So I have these powerful memories of songs that I used to hear sung. Not what I want to do, nor where I want to go. For who am I that I should choose my way? The Lord shall make a way for you. These concepts that were drilled into us as part of this, the Christian life, there, there, it wasn't 100% healthy because there was this certain sense in which God was, of course, always going to ask you to do the thing you don't want to do because he's just kind of that way. I don't want you to think God is an ogre God. He's not. The point, however, is this. He is God. And you must bow to him. And if what he asks of you is out of line with what you want for you, are you the kind of believer who is going to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus? Because this, please hear this, and, and I, I don't know how else to say it. For young adults raised in the church, I have found that for many of them, this becomes the question of their life. That there comes a day when they have to answer, am I submitted to the will of God? Will I follow the will of God no matter what it is? Will I be obedient to the will of God? Those two things were the things that for me were like cross experience. They were, they were things of, will you obey me no matter what I tell you to do? What about the things you enjoy? What about the things you delight in? What about your plans for your life? Will you submit them to me? Will you follow me? Now, I want to tell you these things about, about, and I'm just using my personal testimony for a second. Oh, I have to tell you this. It's likely that your big cross moments are ahead of you. They might be behind you, but it's likely. I'm going to tell you this. You're stepping into a new place, and listen, all kinds of new things are going to be available to you. And you're going to have to decide, in the face of pressure from other people, 
you're going to have to decide, am I prepared to follow Jesus? No matter what it looks like, no matter what anybody else thinks, am I prepared to follow Jesus? Your cross experiences, your biggest ones, are likely ahead of you. They're likely coming. And, they, and some of them, I mean, like, I have no way of proving this, but just as a person who's walked with people and has lived a little bit of life, I like want to stick a percent. Like I want to say, like, probably there's four graduates here. Probably three-quarters of you will have a cross experience in the next five years. <laughs> that's, that's likely. And it may be all of you, okay? That you're going to have something that's going to test you and ask the question to you in some way that is really significant to you, are you going to obey me, God, and follow me? That's likely coming, and it's likely coming soon. Full disclosure, don't say no one ever told you. It's coming, okay? Your big ones are likely ahead of you. And, and, and the last thing you need to know about them is this. They are voluntary. Oh, man, God is good at putting pressure on us. He knows how to twist the screws a little bit. But he does not force us. The, Jesus was specific. You must deny yourself. And you must take up your cross. And you must follow me. He was specific about it. God will bring it to you. God will convict you. He'll use circumstances to help motivate you. But he will not force you. Crosses are voluntary. You take them or you don't. You, you are going to have to decide. With everything the positives, the negatives that you've experienced in life, are you going to follow Jesus? Is he going to be your Lord and your master? You're going to have to decide this. I want to say this real quickly about my, my own experiences. It's a fascinating thing. Because God did not put me to the test in ministry and say, okay, because you followed me, I'll let you go become a politician or you can become a lawyer like you wanted to or you can... No, he said, this is what I'm going to ask of you and I'm never going to rescind it. And you know what he did since then? He transformed me to the place where I love what he wanted for me. Where I look back on it now and said, I'd have ruined my life if I'd have had it my way. And God, thank you for giving me this life. Because at this point in my life, I'm able to say, there's nothing I'd rather be doing right now. There's nothing I'd rather be doing right now. The titles and the prestige and the money and whatever else is all stuff that doesn't matter. Lord Jesus, you never, you never took this away from me and you have used this to conform me and to make me into a person that is able to say today, I delight to do your will. So thank you for that. On the other hand, and I hope this is okay to say, it took a while, but the music thing he gave back to me 
okay, you submitted and it accomplished my purposes for your life for that time, and now I give this gift back to you. And, and it would bring tears to my eyes if I had told you the ways that God has allowed me to enjoy a delight in my soul that I went on a 20-year fast from, that when he gave it back to me was like fresh rivers of water in a desert. And he said, now you can drink. And, and, and I find myself often with some piece of music sitting somewhere by myself. And if you ever see this, because sometimes I'm walking around town and my wife will say, She's shaking her head at me right now because she's embarrassed, she's, she's embarrassed for me. Because <laughs> sometimes I walk around town and I'm just in my own little world. And sometimes I walk around and I'm like this, like I'm kind of embarrassed, but I have to worship. And I really don't care what it looks like because God did something in me and gave something to me. And it's no longer a separate part of my life from him. It's something that he's welcome in and that I can attribute to him and that I can give him thanks for and is a part of my worship. And it's, in many respects, it's just between me and him. And sometimes I try to share it with other people and sometimes they get it every once in a while. Like there was a song I sent to my kids and said, everybody needs to listen to this. And I had kids texting me back. I'm, 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 I'm at the gym and I'm like trying to fight back tears. That was a... And then sometimes they're like, yeah, I wasn't going to get It's okay. I get it. And in my heart, it's part of my walk with the Lord. He gave it back. It's a profound thing for me. I don't know how all that, that's because, listen, that's your relationship with God. I don't know what your story's going to be. I just know he's going to want you to submit yourself to him. That when you do, you'll have your own story to tell someday. What that looked like and how he did it. Okay? The last thing I just want to say, and this is what I told you, I, I would just do this super fast. The, the last part of it is life out of death. And this is the good news. That, that the, whole, the whole story of, of Isaac, we're not going to take the time to read it, but Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 is this. Abraham did this believing, he, he, Abraham at this time believed that he would have to kill his son Isaac. But he believed, knowing that that was a son of promise, Abraham believed that God was going to raise him from the dead. And the writer of Hebrews says, that's exactly what God did in a symbol, in a type, in a picture he received his son back from the dead. Now, the whole child sacrifice was too big of a deal. God couldn't let him go through with it. Even if he, would, could, he could have raised him from the dead. Nah, that's not what God... There was only one child that was going to be sacrificed for the world. That was the Lord Jesus. But, but Isaac was a symbol of life from the dead, of coming back from the dead, when God says, do not touch, harm the lad. Put the ram there. I want you to know this. The other side of the cross is always life. It is always life. God brings life to you out from the death of a cross. 
You go through the death of the cross, there will be life on the other side. Promise. There will be life on the other side. Our cross deaths deaths are worthwhile. They're worthwhile. Please hear this. I have to finish this. Just one example. You die the death and your marriage will be saved. You insist on your will and it'll be iffy, I promise. It'll be iffy. Because when two people try to live together and they're both in it for themselves, I guarantee you, it will be a hard life. And it might not make it. But when one person is able to say, my responsibility is to love you the way Christ loved the church and give himself up for her. Husband, young men, Trent, James, die the death. And you will save your marriage. I know this is so countercultural. I know this is crazy today. Michaela, Leah, the way the church responds to Christ, submit yourself to your husband, and God will save your marriage. You know why? Because when one person is laying down his life for the other, and the other one is saying, I'll follow you, my kids will joke sometimes because you, know, you can call it indecision. But if my wife and I have the chance to go out on a date, we're like looking at each other going, what do you want? No, what do you want? No, really. What you, well, what I would want would be for you to tell me what you would want. <laughs> can I tell you this? Some fights are survivable. That fight is survivable. There's some fights that are really problems. So you lay down your life. And you know what you find out? You find out when you do, there's life on the other side. There's life on the other side. And some of our marriages have had the joy of finding life on the other side. I promise, if your parents have a marriage that's life on the other side, it's because they died some deaths along the way. They did, right? Your relationships will be saved, transformed. Your usefulness and fruitfulness are deepened. You become more useful to God. That's a way that life comes out of death. But I want you to know, above everything else, that your reward is coming. Your reward is coming. Dying a death is hard. But I want you to know that your reward is coming. I love Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, right? But what it's that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Right? Because he goes through the cross, he wins the reward on the other side. It's always worth it to submit yourself to the will of God. It's always with, worth it to give yourself up for the Lordship of Christ. It's always worth it. It will be the best life. I'm not going to tell you it's not hard. It's hard in the moment but I promise there's life on the other side of it. There's life on the other side of it. And what you'll discover, it's the life you would have chosen for yourself if you'd have known back then what you were dealing with when you had to choose your cross. It is. All right? So, if, uh, if a year from now you're standing someplace and there's a decision before you, maybe it's a moral decision, maybe it's a life direction decision, and you're struggling with something, maybe the Holy Spirit will bring it back to you. 
And you say, okay, what's the will of God in this? This is going to be my cross moment. Will I submit myself to the will of God? I pray that in that moment, the Holy Spirit will remind you that when you submit to him, no matter how difficult that submission is, he will bring to you a life on the other side that you will never regret. You will not regret it. There will be a day you get on your knees and thank him for it. Amen? All right. Uh, real, uh, I, okay, I'm done. I'm concerned about them over there, but they haven't had the kids that long. And food is going to be quick for us today because it's there. So let's just take a couple minutes. There's, a, there's at least some of the graduates that just want to share a quick word of testimony, maybe some of what's coming up for them. Uh, so um, if you don't want to, you don't have to. So don't, you know. But if you would like to, we would like to hear from you what's going on in your life, where you're headed. We're, we're excited for you. So um, uh, Judah. Could you just take that? Do you have the handheld mic back there? Is it up here? Okay. Sorry. Um, could someone? Are you going to come up? And you guys are really brave. God bless you. If you don't want to, it doesn't mean you're not brave. It just means you don't want to. That's okay. <laughs> so, there you go. So if you, if you want to, you can share. Leah, do you care too? She does. Not specifically. <laughs> not specific. <laughs> Mom. Do I hear a cross? Mom just said, yes, you want to. Leah <laughs> said, nah, sorry. <laughs> Boy, that was so unfair. <laughs> I will repent before the day is done. I'm repenting right now. Okay, real quick. Go ahead, James. Yeah, let's hear Hello, it. Uh, I'm James Carroll. Most of you probably know that. Um, so when, when people ask me about my testimony, um, I love going to people's churches and just asking people what theirs is, and you hear, hear these stories of someone caught in sin or some horrible thing and God's able to come in and take their life and turn it around. It's this crazy story and you're like, wow, God was there and he saved you from, a, from death, literally, or some crazy experience. You're always like, wow, I wish my testimony was like that. And I was sitting down, I have to write it um, for an application I'm filling out, which I'll touch on later. Um, but I was writing my testimony and I was like, it's sad, my story's not like that. And then I took a look at myself, and I'm like, but it is. Because without Jesus and his death, all of us would be in that position. We'd have no hope. Um, so I'm not standing here to tell you that God saved me from drugs or something like that. I'm standing here to tell you that he saved my life. Because without him, I wouldn't be here today. And Amen. by doing that, he saved me from so much. I was able... And had the privilege to grow up in a Christian home, to grow up in this church, um, to have that fellowship, that community, and I was saved from a lot. I was homeschooled, um, which now working out in the world has really helped me uh, value the way I was raised. Um, and I just want to take that gift and encourage you guys, the gift your parents give you when you're standing on a stage like I am today, looking back the way you were raised. Take that gift, the things that they saved you from, that step forward they gave you, and use that as you carry the gospel out into the world. So that's a little bit just quick about my testimony. Um, I finished high school. Um, I had a graduation with my co-op a, a few weeks back, um, working at a, a shop in Camp Hill this summer, and then I'm going to the Alert Academy, um, which my brothers have done. I'm sure you guys have heard about that. Um, I'll be down there for two, maybe three phases of training, 
And then I'm thinking of working at a summer camp to see if that's kind of the direction God wants me to go in. So it's a little story about me. Thank you. So I'm Trent Ferry. Um, not a lot of you, some of you know me, some of you know me pretty well. Um, some of you don't so much. But so I was listening to this sermon, what the pastor was talking about, and what came to mind was, was work. And what he was talking about, God gives everybody a burden. And whenever I felt, as, I, as I'm growing up, that when I felt the most, um, when I felt like I got to the point of maturity that I could go out in the world and actually talk to people, um, show God, like show God through me to other people, doing that work, doing that, holding that, like taking that burden and actually going out and doing something with it, like what he was talking about, that really spoke to me there because it's hard to understand your burden. It's hard to understand what God wants you to do and finding that out and really taking some thought and being like, what does God want me to do with myself right now? What does God want me to do in the next few years when I'm going to be going out here and figuring out the rest of my life as a graduate and as somebody who really doesn't know a lot about life and understanding what God wants me to do, figuring that out, doing that work, that's what really came to mind here when the pastor was talking. But, um, and I really encourage you all to do that as well. Think about that. But I'm going to college here in the fall for business. Um, graduated high school. Still haven't got my diploma yet, but <laughs> that'll happen pretty soon. Um, but, yep, that is what I've been doing here. And I hope that, well, you all picked up something from what I said there. If not, that's all right. But thank you. <laughs> thank you. Okay, so hello. I'm Michaela Oziak, if you don't know me. Um, my family and I have been coming here for four years now. So I have not been a fan of change my whole life. And so leaving school is a huge change, and it's something that I have to grow in. And I'm definitely working on, but Ecclesiastic 3.1 is something I've leaned on. For everything, there's a purpose and a season for change under the heavens. Knowing that change and change in my seasons is under God's will, it always helps me, especially when the seasons are rough. So um, growing up, my first season of ministry was with my family. We traveled all over the country doing VBSs at churches and camps, and I got to grow so much in that and see so much ministry and work and seeing the children as I was a child, just seeing their relationships grow in God and seeing them learn about God has always been just a part of me, and it's definitely gave me a passion for it. So during my senior year, as I did a lot of the work and worked hard because I was homeschooled, because I had this wonderful opportunity growing up in a Christian home to be homeschooled, um, I got to work at a Montessori school, and I got to start working full-time there. And I got to work and do ministry and see kids grow, and it's been an incredible passion, and I want to definitely continue going there. And I'm getting this summer Montessori certified and continue working there, which I'm really excited about. And that's where God is leading me. Um, but as I'm going into a new season, I'm not the only one. My mom, who is homeschooled all the way for kids, that's 18 years total, 
of homeschooling, 18 years of evaluations, is done. Just finally <laughs> done. <laughs> and I think that's worth a little bit of just appreciation. <laughs> because it's a huge accomplishment and a huge sacrifice that I'm really grateful for. And not only for her, because she was home and working so hard to raise us and teach us, um, for my dad as well, the work that he did and the sacrifice for him, I'm really grateful for it. I have so much I'm grateful for, and I just wanted to lean into that a little bit, um, how much God has blessed me with this community, this church, um, my friends and family, and even my coworkers are all Christian, and I've had that in my life, and I'm really grateful that as I go through new seasons and go through change, I surround myself with people who challenge me to do better, challenge me to turn to God, to do better, to find the truth, always are willing to tell me the truth, and just I'm really grateful. So as I go into this new season, very grateful, very happy to be done school. Um, I want to always have a learner's heart, even out of school, and always encourage that in others, and just be moldable to God's will. Amen. Thank you. How did things work out, Leah? <laughs> Judith, do you want to say something quickly? It's fine if you don't. I want to put you under pressure. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Um, uh, is it okay if I just say you, you are going to Liberty? So that's all. Yeah, yeah. I know that's been something that Leah has been very excited about and looking forward to. Um, I got a chance to be a part of teaching Leah with logic and, <laughs> and math. She loves math. She's a deep lover of math. I had <laughs> great times in math with Leah, uh, so <laughs> and and she loved me as a math teacher too. She, was, I was so good, such a good math. <laughs> so, was that? <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, anyways, it was fun for a while, right? It was. See there. Thanks. All right. So, listen. Let's let's just take a second. If you guys want to come down here, um, in fact, you know what? Just go go to wherever your families are. And, and get close to them there. Um, let's, let's just take a second to pray a prayer of blessing over these graduates. Uh, do, do, do we understand what a privilege it is to share life together and to share these events together and to watch people move through life together and to see how God is, gonna, is going to use them? And, and then we get just a little glimpse of the ways that, that God has, has, um, has blessed us to be involved in each other's lives and to be part of people's life journey and the way that, that he develops them. It's, it's truly a beautiful thing. So um, let's just take a second. Let's lay hands on our graduates. Of course, family there around you, just lay hands on them. I, I would just like to do this this morning, especially if there's if any other youth in here, you want to lay hands on one of your friends, this is a good practice for you to pray for, for your friends and your family members. So um, you want to move around, uh, lay hands on our graduates, let's, let's just take a second to pray for them and to bless them in the name of the Lord, okay? All right. <clears throat> 